to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. I am your host for today, Karen. Today, I'm going to be discussing episodes 31 and 32 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an or Chang'an Shuarshichen. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or else at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For this podcast episode, we'll start with an episode recap and then move on to some history. Episode 31 opens to a sweeping view of wonderfully created lanterns in a crowded street. An old man is sitting on a stool outside his residence, and he is being greeted respectfully by passers-by before they continue on, ooing and eyeing at the sights. The old man is renowned architect Mao Shun. He is very irritated and yells at his staff to leave him as he sees someone coming in the distance. That someone is Long Bo in a large carriage with a member of his team. They also greet him respectfully and collect Mao Shun on their way somewhere. The time now is midnight. Back at the right chancellor's residence, Li Bi is once again being pressured into signing the confession stating that tonight's crimes were all instigated by the crown prince. He comes up with the idea that only verbal evidence isn't enough. He can go get physical evidence for the right chancellor to really stick it to the crown prince, I guess. The right chancellor and company are right to be skeptical. They don't want to let Li Bi go. What happens if he runs away? The only trade is for him to sign the statement before he can leave with a company of men. Li Bi grabs the brush and we see a flashback of Li Bi discussing with Xu Bin the best way to solve a seemingly dead end. The takeaway here is that staying alive is the most important answer. Only by staying alive can one do the things one wants to do. Subin says, if one thinks that he has value and can do more, why does that person need to die or commit suicide? Li Bi is emboldened by this recollection and without further hesitation, signs his name on this confession. This comes as a surprise to Yao Zhuneng, whom we learned last episode is a spy for the right chancellor. Li Bi is allowed to leave, but Tan Qi is forced to stay. Yuan Zai is ordered to accompany Li Bi to make sure he doesn't escape. The right chancellor even tells Yuan Zai that if Li Bi looks like he's trying to escape, kill him and make up a reason. The right chancellor doesn't care about the fact that Li Bi and his father have titles at court and are well-connected. He is not worried about them whatsoever. Not only that, the right chancellor tells Yao Zhuneng to get rid of Tan Qi at some point. Wow. The right chancellor really is ruthless. He doesn't care about lives whatsoever. Fortunately, Li Bi does indeed take this opportunity to escape capture. He takes Yuan Zai and Wang Yunxiu plus their soldiers to the mercenary hideout. The mercenaries or the Shou Zhuolong and I gotta say, I feel really bad for these guys because they've had a rough day. How many times have they been fighting, right? They fought Zhang Xiaojing a couple of times. They had to fight Yu Chang. And now Li Bi shows up. 
Li Bi goes in and tells the head of the mercenaries of the Shou Zhuolang that there are soldiers outside. They all know about their activities tonight, which means that the government knows about their activities tonight. Li Bi says that the mercenaries must fight for their lives, otherwise their homes and network will be destroyed. Just as all of this is happening in short order, Wang Yunxiu orders her soldiers to attack. And in the chaos, Li Bi manages to escape through a window, but the poor mercenaries are all eliminated. Ugh, rest in peace, guys, but I really do feel bad. You guys got the short end of the stick. Yuan Zai is also quite frightened at Wang Yunxiu's archery abilities. He was not ready for this bloodshed, and this event promptly opened his eyes to, uh, I guess, Wang Yunxiu's capabilities and what he basically attached himself to. He essentially just found himself a wife and connected himself to a very powerful family, but now he's like, oh, wow, my wife can actually kill and doesn't blink an eye about killing people. Hmm, he was not signed up for that yet. Luckily, Li Bi manages to run into soldiers under General Guo's purview, and they help bring him directly to General Guo and the grandson of Prince Ning, whom we met in the last episode. The grandson of Prince Ning says he will immediately write a report to the emperor detailing the power that the right chancellor now holds while Li Bi manages to take a breather. The right chancellor is furious at hearing Yuan Zai's report that Li Bi escaped and promptly tells his staff to send the confession statements from He Fu and Li Bi up to the emperor, hoping to ensure that the emperor sees these confessions and brings down the crown prince. Meanwhile, Li Bi does inform General Guo that Director He or He Jian is still captured by the right chancellor. What's interesting about this in conversation is that Li Bi dissects the power dynamics between the right chancellor and the crown prince and what the emperor wants to see. The emperor wants balance. Have the two men fight it out. But power will always remain with the emperor when the two are fighting. If one side, aka the crown prince, falls, then the right chancellor will truly have the power that could endanger the emperor. And that is not exactly something the emperor wants to see. This analysis, I feel like, is important because it states kind of the chess match or, for Chinese players, the Chinese Go match that the emperor is currently playing. He is the one calling all of the shots, while everyone else are just purely his chess or Go pieces. Li Bi does make an additional request to have General Guo rescue Zhang Xiaojing, but unfortunately, General Guo refuses. Disappointed, Li Bi hurries to find the crown prince. To be honest, I'm not exactly sure how Li Bi managed to locate the crown prince so quickly, but he does, and asks for forgiveness about the betrayal in the crown prince's carriage. Evidently, the crown prince is on his way to the palace. At first, the crown prince is not exactly pleased, but then becomes less bothered because after hearing what Li Bi has to say, the crown prince now finally has dirt against the right chancellor, specifically the fact that the right chancellor has the three seals of the three bureaus. This gives the crown prince more ammunition to bring down the right chancellor and at least give himself some cover. The crown prince, appreciative of what Li Bi managed to find for him, 
asks if there's anything he can do for Li Bi. It is here that Li Bi earnestly begs for the crown prince's help in rescuing Tan Qi, whom he had to leave at the right chancellor's home. The crown prince says that he's being put in a difficult position, and I am really quite touched at how sincerely Li Bi requests for help. He recognizes the unique value that Tan Qi has and is willing to rescue her for it. But I think this is a very interesting contrast because Li Bi sees the uniqueness of Tan Qi whereas the crown prince does not. He is like, I can find you many other servant girls that can be just as effective as Tan Qi for the things that you want Tan Qi to do. Why does it have to be Tan Qi? I don't know what that says about the crown prince in understanding equality of his citizens, but I would say actually that is a ding against him. Back at the right chancellor's residence, he's over there basically showing off his victory to He Jian or Director He. I feel like the right chancellor at this moment is a male bird, like just prancing around showing off his feathers. All the right chancellor needs is for Director He to also write a confession accusing the crown prince of treachery. The director, of course, refuses. And the two get into a squabble, and I legitimately feel like it's squabbling. But as they're doing so, General Guo arrives. Man, I feel like that guy is really everywhere, running between the palace and Chang'an. This is why I feel like timing doesn't fully work in this drama, because people like General Guo end up all over Chang'an at basically the speed of light. Like, seriously, how is General Guo everywhere all at once? <laughs> General Guo has a gift from the emperor to the right chancellor. The right chancellor is so smug, thinking that he's going to receive some amazing present from the emperor. But his smirk quickly falls as he sees the present. The acting is superb here because we can see how quickly the right chancellor's face drops. The gift... A plain fabric robe, or a bu yi. The right chancellor immediately starts sweating buckets because this is a huge insult. For someone of his status, the right chancellor, for Pete's sake, how can he be given a plain cloth robe? That is what commoners wear. The right chancellor himself says he never wears common robes. He never wears bu yi. What on earth can the emperor mean? It is now time for General Guo to try to suppress his smugness, and he does indeed give a hint. Perhaps you have too many seals. This then clicks for the right chancellor. Li Bi must have had something to do with it. This almost came a little out of left field, but it was quite satisfying to watch. The right chancellor gulps in front of General Guo and even asks him if maybe he cannot wear this outfit. General Guo just says, the emperor requests that you wear it. The right chancellor is so scared at these words that he actually falls to his knees. That in and of itself reflects the emperor's displeasure by basically saying that the right chancellor, I am going to be stripping you of the right to be wearing your purple robes tonight. Instead, I want you to wear commoner's clothes. It is now time for director He to preen and prance in front of the right chancellor. How the tides have turned in literally just a few moments. 
We're going to get to the palace soon, but elsewhere, let's catch up with Zhang Xiaojing. He does head over to the paper mill to meet Xu Bin after receiving his message earlier in the night. This part of the drama is entirely off book, and I don't know exactly how I feel about it. It's midnight at the Lantern Festival, and everyone is still working. What kind of boss is Xu Bin G's? <laughs> Zhang Xiaojing is relieved to see that his friend is alive, and oddly, Xu Bin is doing well, not at all traumatized by the events earlier in the day. Zhang Xiaojing originally wasn't going to stay because he just wanted to see and make sure that Xu Bin was alive, but. Shubin says, "Let's discuss further." The two chat about what happened tonight, and Shubin actually provides some more intel that all of the places Longbo was using seem to have been owned by none other than the right chancellor. I feel like this should have been more of a reveal because what Shubin is saying here is that all the evidence points to the fact that the right chancellor might have orchestrated the entire thing tonight. As a way to get rid of his political enemies, that's quite the ring around, right? The victim of today's attacks was actually the instigator. Interestingly, Zhang Xiaojing isn't too focused on this point at the moment. He tells Xu Bin that he needs to look for more clues on the broken piece of bamboo he received from the now deceased fire marshal of the Shou Zhuolong, or the mercenaries that we saw get killed by Wang Yunxiu and Yuan Zai's men. He'll most likely need to head over to Jing'anzi because that is where all the physical evidence of today's various explosion is stored, and maybe there they can find more information about what Longbo's true target is. The two men, Zhang Xiaojing and Xu Bin, actually get into a bit of a small argument and watch the language that Xu Bin uses. He calls the right chancellor Lin Zai, or directly, that's more like Bandit Lin. He's calling the right chancellor a thief and clearly thinks poorly of him. The language he uses for the crown prince and director He, on the other hand, is much more respectful. So you can see that Xu Bin is not actually as impartial as he suggests with all of his language around using da and du shu or the database to come up with data. However, Xu Bin does help Zhang Xiaojing in rescuing Tan Qi. Xu Bin receives intel that Tan Qi is now captured in the right chancellor's residence, and Zhang Xiaojing is adamant in mounting a rescue for her. Xu Bin pulls up a map of Ping Kang Fang, where the right chancellor's residence is, and informs Zhang Xiaojing of a secret path. With this information, Zhang Xiaojing hurriedly leaves, hoping to rescue Tan Qi. And at least at this moment, Xu Bin tells his father and the rest of the working crew to call it an evening and to actually leave Chang'an. I can't help wonder why. What does Xu Bin know? The third really interesting thread that we are following in these two episodes is the currently imprisoned Tan Qi. We see just how the various men in these few episodes view Tan Qi. Interestingly, the grandson of the Prince of Ning, of all people, makes the case to Li Bi that Tan Qi is unique. Li Bi, as we have stated, had discarded Tan Qi, though he feels extremely apologetic about it, and he sees value in her. But I can't help but shake what Yao Zhuoneng said about Li Bi's view of Tan Qi. Tan Qi, by most people, is just a quote-unquote slave, and will always be a slave. That's also kind of what the crown prince 
had hinted at earlier. While Tanxi is in prison, Yao Shuneng goes up to Tanxi and says that Li Bi treats her more with respect because of his own upbringing. In this episode, Tanxi reiterates her own net worth. In her cage, Tanxi calls out Yao Shuneng's harsh words against her because she knows that she is actually capable of more, regardless of whether or not she works for Li Bi. As for Yao Junong, Tan Qi knows that he isn't as cold-hearted as he makes himself out to be, at least at that moment when he's belittling Tan Qi. Otherwise, as Tan Qi states, he wouldn't have sent that message of don't retreat earlier that day. Today has been an interesting day of growth for Yao Junong despite his betrayal of Li Bi. And as Tan Qi said, he actually saved a lot of lives earlier with his message. That makes him not purely bad. Meanwhile, Zhang Xiaojin hears that Tan Xi has been in prison and tries his hardest to mount a rescue for her. Out of everyone in the drama, he is the only one who showed her that he sees her as his equal, at least at the get-go. He has called her out, as he did to Ding Tonger and probably to Li Xiangxiang, to show these women that they are more useful and capable than they realize. Those were probably very unique words that Tan Qi has not heard from someone or a man in a long time, if ever. Yao Zhuoneng is given instruction to eliminate Tan Qi. He waffles around a bit in front of one of the right chancellor's men who wants to oversee her death, but Yao Zhuoneng is actually quite quick. He rushes in to Tan Qi's enclosure and actually suffocates her to quote-unquote death. It's not a pretty scene, as she is seen suffering. He walks out of the cell and instructs her to be buried after she falls limp. As Tan Qi is being buried, though, by two soldiers, we see Yao Zhuneng overseeing the burial, getting antsy. Before the two soldiers burying Tan Qi can finish the job, he actually beats them up and knocks them out. Uh, okay, that was a shocker. He hardly rushes over to Tan Qi and urges her to wake up. Evidently, he faked her death in order to rescue her. Yay, he's not all bad. But just as we're about to celebrate his betrayal to uh, protect Tan Qi, we have to scream our dismay as Yuan Zai turns up with soldiers. Yuan Zai, ugh. He just wants to make up for his failure earlier today, but come on, you are just awful. Yao Zhuneng takes this opportunity to fight heroically in order to save Tan Qi, but he is badly injured by the numerous soldiers Yuan Zai brought to subdue him. Yuan Zai also shuts the coffin that Tan Qi was placed in, trying to bury her alive to finish the job. He says the most awful things to her, and once again, we see the difference between what I would say is now a much more enlightened Yao Zhuneng and Yuan Zai, who only wants to climb the political ladder. He cannot fathom why Yao Zhuneng would rescue Tan Qi. She's just a slave. Yuan Zai actually questions Yao Runeng whether or not he did this on behalf of someone else's orders. Yao Runeng, at the moment he is bloodied and badly injured, actually screams that he made this decision for himself. He knows that Tan Qi is someone worth rescuing. Impressively, he screams that even if he dies, he will never retreat. Um, is it just me, or did everyone else also go through a roller coaster of emotions with Yao Zhuneng? Is he bad? Is he good? 
I mean, he's complicated to say the least, and at least helpful in trying to keep Tan Qi alive. Yuan Zai, though, he's just all bad and annoying. It's an absolutely tense moment as elsewhere, Zhang Xiaojing arrived at the brothel of Li Xiangxiang, the courtesan we met earlier in the day. Apparently, Xu Bin's intel said that her residence has a secret passageway to the right chancellor's residence. Zhang Xiaojing first ties her up to try to find the secret passageway, but releases her when she finally points him to it. Except, it was a trap. She led him down a dead end, hoping to trap him there. There's no secret passageway to the right chancellors, at least not from her place. Things don't look good for Tan Qi. She tries her hardest to find potentially some air or a crack in the coffin where she can't escape, but she quickly realizes that the oxygen left in the coffin is running out. She passes out reiterating that she is not just a slave. She is useful and dreams of Zhang Xiaojing in a rainy field. In the dream state, he tells her that if she only follows orders, she won't be able to truly think and live to her maximum potential, especially under Li Bi. This is an important lesson for her as fortunately a hand shakes her awake. Of all the people who want to rescue her, it is Li Bi who wakes her. That was certainly a roller coaster ride and quite an intense battle to keep Tan Qi alive. Let's cool down from all of the adrenaline at the end of episode 32 with the tidbit of history that we want to discuss today. And that is referring to the emperor's quote unquote gifts to the right chancellor, aka the plain fabric robe. The right chancellor is stunned at this development. Behind him, Director He is positively laughing at the right chancellor now and brings up the story of an old chancellor, Zhang Yue. This Zhang Yue lived between 667 to 731, so he was quite active during the reign of Tang Xuanzong. He first rose to prominence during the reign of Emperor Wu Zetian, but experienced several promotions and demotions throughout his career as his fortunes waxed and waned with the different emperors. When Emperor Tang Xuanzong first ascended the throne in 713, Zhang Yue had already risen to the post of Xiang or Chancellor. He was then granted the title of the Duke of Yan. Zhang Yue was politically at odds with Yao Chong and actively sought to prevent Yao Chong from also becoming Chancellor. However, he lost the battle and Zhang Yue saw himself demoted elsewhere. He regained favor after his success in defeating Turkic groups out to the west, and by 723, he was renamed Central Secretariat Director. In 724, he proposed to the emperor to head to Mount Tai to perform the Fengshan sacrifices. This was an official rite where the Son of Heaven, which meant the emperor, would pay homage to heaven and earth. This was a grand affair and required a lot of planning. The emperor did not embark on this trip until 725. For the ceremony, Zhang Yue ensured that all of those in charge of the ceremony were his close allies. He promoted them to the fifth rank positions, which were higher than their original positions. As a reminder, fifth rank officers could wear red. For the soldiers who also accompanied the group, he only promoted them but didn't give any awards which caused much rumbling amongst the men. There is a whole saying about the blatant favoritism or nepotism exhibited by Zhang Yue. Zhang Yue had a son-in-law who was only of the ninth rank. 
After the ceremony, where it was typical to promote the junior officers, Zhang Yue promoted his son-in-law straight from the ninth rank to the fifth rank. At court, the emperor saw the son-in-law wearing red and asked why or how he rose that quickly, to which the young man had nothing to say. Later, a famous singer wrote this in one of the performances to say it was all thanks to Mount Tai, or 这都是泰山的功劳. That's why in Chinese, there is a custom to call the father-in-law Shan or Mount Tai because they can be that useful to you where you will rise above your station because you have a father-in-law who will help. Contrary to what was stated in the drama, Zhang Yue wasn't immediately punished by the emperor. It wasn't until 726 when other officials accused him of corruption and bribery, which were found to be largely true, did the emperor turn against Zhang Yue. He was only demoted by the emperor and was forced to retire in 727 and died in 731 at the age of 64. Based on what I just shared, Zhang Yue probably wasn't the best one to one comparison to the scenario of the right chancellor with his plain cloth robe. But director Hu's point is that the right chancellor should be worried since the gift of the plain robe is a warning from the emperor that the emperor will want to demote him. What's interesting is that General Guo informs everyone that the crown prince will also be wearing the same attire for the lantern ceremony later. So it is not just the right chancellor. In my opinion, it feels like the emperor is once again trying to make sure that his pawns are evenly matched. We will end up seeing what the emperor truly intends later in the evening. That is it for today's podcast episode. The music you heard is Qing Pingyue, played by yours truly with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us. Thank you so much again for listening, and we will catch you all in the next podcast episode.